If you would, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. The end of Colossians here is Paul's instructions to the people in Colossae. He's just gone through chapter 3 in the preceding chapters. He's told us that Christ is preeminent. He's above all things, and Christ should have first place in our life. And he concludes here in Colossians 4, uh, he gives final greetings after this, but really he gives a, a few final instructions. It almost reminds me as if a father is, and parents are leaving the house and they give to their kids the basic instructions that they need uh, to finish and, and to finalize, or, or they may say as grown kids, maybe at home, this is what you need to do, we're going to be gone for three days, don't burn the place down, but here's what also needs to happen, right? And, and here's the final kind of instructions. These are the instructions Paul gives here, and really we're going to see three things that we should be doing as Christians. These aren't the only things we should be doing, but these are really basic things that we should do as believers. And we're going to see this in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. And we could, we could really sum, them, sum it up in these three things, as you even see in the title screen there. Pray, intercede, proclaim. Pray this way, intercede for others, and then proclaim the gospel message. And we'll see that. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab, hopefully, uh, in the pew in front of you or underneath there, there's a red Bible, and the page, it, well, the page we'll be on is 985. So if you want to turn to that, uh, that's page 985, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And I'm going to read this passage. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person." Really a basic passage that doesn't necessarily need a ton of explanation. You can read it and pretty much understand it. Paul starts off and he says, listen, I want you to always offer prayers and thanksgiving. The first point he's making, always offer prayer and thanksgiving there in verse 2. He tells us, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be continuous in prayer. In the Greek, it's this present active imperative, meaning this should be something that's going on now and that continues to go on. And so he says, pray, continue st- praying steadfastly. He encourages the Colossians to spend time in prayer. He's, he really encourages them, uh, just like he does in many new, other New Testament books, always be praying. This should be something that always should be part of a believer's life. Prayer to God. Even if God doesn't answer the request immediately, be praying. And he tells them to persist constantly in prayer, continuing down this road. If I tell you, if I gave you directions to get to some place on 107, I would say get on Sherry Road and continue on that road until you hit 107 and there's a gas station there. And that's, that's meaning this continuation. We're going to continue to do something. Christians, we should be people that are known by our prayer life, that we constantly are praying 
But the word steadfast makes this something, if I said, hey, remain steadfast, that's something that we would think of like that we would just stay standard or stay, stay standing still. We would say to our kids, stay there, or I tell my dogs to stay, and they don't do it, right? We say continue steadfast, which almost seems like an act, uh, oxymoron where it'd be like continue staying there. But I think what Paul is telling us and what we need to understand is always pray, but really be firmly planted in a life of prayer. Our life should be constantly planted in prayer and submission to God. And how do we do that? Well, he tells us what should be one of the contents of our prayer. One of the contents of our prayer should be with thanksgiving. He says, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. When he says the words watchful, he really is telling us stay awake in one sense, and probably for some of us that have started off an early prayer time or maybe said, I'm going to pray, and you do it right before bed, and you start 20 minutes into your prayer, and you fall asleep, there is a truth that we probably need to stay awake in prayer to actually pray. But there's also, I think, the concern that he's actually making known is that we should be uh, concerned and thinking about what we're praying for. This is in, the, in other places in the New Testament, we're told not to just have mindless repetition of prayers, not to just say the th- same things over and over again with no thought of what we're doing. We should actually be concerned with what we're praying, and that prayer should con- contain things that give praise to God. It should give thanks to God. It says, being watchful with thanksgiving. Prayer and thanksgiving really can't be separated. You're really pulling apart two things that should be interjoined together. When we pray, we're, of course, praying to God. But when we pray, we we give requests. But we should also, in our prayer, constantly be being thankful for what God has done. How many times have we woken up early to pray, or even just woken up at our uh, wake up at our normal time, and we put off prayer? We know maybe we should start our day with prayer. And we never do it. We say, maybe when that break comes at work, I'll spend some time in prayer. And that doesn't happen. Instead, we eat our bag of Cheetos. We forget to pray. I'll do it on the way home. And then something interesting comes on the radio. We decide to call somebody else, tell them about our problems. When we say, just like I've probably done and many of you have, I'll pray right before bed. And as we lay down and we think, boy, this pillow feels really nice, we drift off into sleep praying about sheep jumping over fences. And our prayer life really is not what this verse describes. It's inconsistent. It's not done with thanksgiving. It's really, we just throw up Hail Mary prayers every once in a while. Just like the end of a football game, somebody throws a pass to score a last-minute touchdown, hoping that it's going to win and maybe succeed, and it doesn't. We sometimes, just in that moment that we absolutely need God, we pray, God, help me, please. Why aren't you here? And God, probably, if he could answer you just directly, he would sarcastically say something, well, I've been here the whole time, you just haven't been talking to me for a long time. But now that you need me, I'm still here. Our lives should be marked by constant, consistent prayer, always praying. Very uh, E.M. Bounds wrote a quote, or wrote this quote, and he has a number of books on prayer. This one's from the book called Power Through Prayer. He says, what the church needs today is not more machinery, and this is written a long time ago. He says, this is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, 
But men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer, the Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. And it's not just men. He's really talking to people in general, ladies, men, anybody that's a believer. Our lives should be marked by prayer. The great revivals that we've seen have happened through prayer. Churches grow through prayer. We can put all kinds of programs together, and I can entertain you with all kinds of pizza and fun things to do at youth group, but how we grow is through following Christ in the Word of God and praying to Him. It's exciting when we pray with our kids. May there be a new person that we get to share Christ, and we see that per- somebody new that we've never met show up on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday. We pray with our kids and we see something answered. What a joy it is to see God answer prayers. But sometimes we think, God never answers my prayer. But the reason is we haven't been praying. We haven't given Him to even answer anything because we go our life living just constantly on our own power. We live in one of the most selfish times in history, I believe. One of the most unthankful times in history. And before you say amen to that very loudly, you may also be the person that goes to a restaurant and gets served a nice meal and is very ungrateful for the service you receive, expecting so much. And you may think, oh, these millennials, boy, they're unthankful. But we live in a culture that is just so ungrateful, unthankful. We may say thank you to somebody every once in a while, but our lives are often selfishly lived. What can I get? How can I plan my day with my time? And we forget Christ. We forget praying. The way that we combat ungratefulness and a selfish culture is through prayer and prayer of thankfulness. Recently, I found myself more frustrated and upset quickly or quicker than I should be. Probably if you watched me in high school basketball, you thought, well, you really seem to get upset quickly then. That's true. But I found myself even recently just being sometimes just edgy and frustrated. And uh, somebody pointed that out to me that I live with. And, uh, and that was, uh, that's sometimes an op- eye-opener that you're like, ah, oh, you're kind of being a hard person to deal with. And I've just realized I-, I go through many days not thanking anybody else and a lot of times not thanking God, not counting my blessings, not thanking God for what he's done, but instead complaining and rehearsing in my mind why everything and everybody else around me is wrong. And that's a way to be ungrateful, and I'm good at that. The way to be thankful is to be constantly in prayer, saying to God, what have you done, and praising him for it. I encourage you, get a journal, mark down, write down what, you, what you're thankful for. In fact, that brother or sister in Christ that you really don't like, that frustrates you, that person that annoys you at work, spend time praying for them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He says, he says this in his book called Life Together, talking about believers living together. He says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His faith, that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me, We would just say he's really annoying and I don't want to see his face. But he says strange and intolerable is transformed into intercession, uh, in intercession, in intercession, into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died. Who are we praying for? 
Our enemies we should pray for, our loved ones we should pray for, those people that annoy us, that we're frustrated with, pray for them. Give thanks for them being in your life. And pray for opportunity that we would be able to share Christ with them. As Paul tells us, even in these verses. Let's continue on and look in verse 3. Paul goes on and gives some very clear, basic commands. Nothing that's groundbreaking, things that we've seen together in Scripture before. It says in verse 3, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open, uh, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The second thing we need to do, Paul says here, is we, often, we need to often intercede for others, especially gospel workers. So the second point I want to make is often intercede for others, especially gospel workers. Our life of prayer should be marked by thankfulness, but it should be praying for gospel opportunities for others. Paul, Paul requests this, and Paul, if we said who was the greatest Christian or church planter or whatever we wanted to say, we would probably say Paul uh, just was, was incredible, right? And he would humbly say, no, I'm the chief of sinners. He would deflect that praise, but we would say, Paul wrote so much of the New Testament, we see what a life lived for Christ. But he knows he does that through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, and he asks other believers to pray for him. What a privilege it would have been to be a believer in that time to pray for the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't it have been incredible praying for Paul and saying the gospel is being spread throughout Greece and Rome and he even wanted to take it to Spain? Man, that would have been great to pray for Paul. We have the opportunity to pray for people that are in Zambia, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Asia, in countries that will not let you proclaim the gospel freely. There's people there proclaiming the gospel as they have opportunity. We have the opportunity to pray for gospel opportunities for the gospel workers that we support. Really, what Paul is saying in the first verse here, in, in verse 2, he says, pray to God. But then he asks in, in verse 3, he says, intercede for me. Really, the difference is very, I mean, it's very close. Prayer and intercession should overlap. But in prayer, we praise God and thank God. We communicate to him. The Westminster Catechism says this. It says, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God in the name of Christ, by the help of the Spirit, with the confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And that's what we do in prayer. But Paul tells us to go beyond that and not just pray for our own things and pray to God for what we need. He tells us intercede for others. Intercession is praying to God on behalf of other people. Praying to God on behalf of other people. One of the things as a, my responsibility as a pastor is to help shepherd you, and one of the ways that we do that chiefly is through preaching of the Word, but really chiefly through praying for the members of our church. For the people that come here, I want to pray uh, for you and for your families. And sometimes we'll ask, how can we pray for you, brother? What's going on in your life? What are the things that you're struggling with? What are the needs that we have? And we want to intercede for you. Intercession is part of the life of a Christian. You should be interceding for your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you should be interceding for those that have opportunity to share the gospel for open doors of opportunities, as Paul says here in this verse. He says, pray that we would have open doors for us to declare the mystery of Christ. 
Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, 27, uh, they, they reported back to the church and they said this. They said all things that God had done with them uh, and, ha- and they proclaimed that God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. They knew that God opens the doors of opportunities to, to share Christ. One of the ways that we can intercede for our missionaries is to pray that they can share the gospel clearly with the people around them. One of the ways that you can pray for yourself and for your other, believer, or other believers in this church is that they have open doors of opportunity to share Christ. And I guarantee you, the more you think about and pray about open doors of opportunity, the more that you will see them happen. The more that you think about it and more that you dwell on the opportunities to share Christ, the more that they will arise. God works like that. He wants to answer the prayer of His saints. He wants to answer our prayers so that the Word of God is spread. God wants glory throughout the nations. He wants people to submit to Him as His children. And so don't you think if we pray things that are dear to the heart of God, He will let them happen? He will open the doors so that we can share the mystery of Christ. And he says the mystery of Christ. This is the mystery that we heard early in, earlier in Colossians. This mystery that Christ is in us. It's the reason that Paul had been put in prison. You know, Paul here in prison is asking for open doors of opportunity. I'm not sure what the prisons exactly looked like. But I'm assuming prison in Paul's day was similar to prisons now. There's lots of doors in prisons, and usually they're shut. So you stay in, and they don't go anywhere. You're, you're, you, know, you may go to the yard or wherever it is. I'm not sure where Paul was. He tells us he was in chains. He didn't have a lot of open doors of freedom to just go anywhere that he wanted. And so what was Paul asking for? He wasn't saying, Lord, grant me my freedom so that I can get out of this. That's exactly what I've been praying for. I would have said, get me out of jail quickly, right? Just like Monopoly. Where's the get get out of jail card? I would have been asking for that. But Paul instead is saying, please pray for open doors, not for freedom, but freedom to actually express the gospel. He wants anybody that comes to him to be ready to hear and that he would have the boldness to proclaim it. What a testimony. And for us... Proclaiming the gospel has to be at the right place at the right time, at the right moment, with the right words, and even then, we keep our mouth shut because we think maybe next time it'll be a better opportunity. And Paul's saying, just give me those opportunities, Lord. Open the doors. Would we be like that and pray that we would have open doors of clarity to proclaim the gospel? And he says in verse 4, he says, he really is asking for gospel clarity. You think the guy that wrote all these books in the New Testament would know what he needs to proclaim, and he does. But he also says, I want this, uh, I want you to pray for me so that I can make the word clear. Because, you know, we can say a lot of things about God, and we can say a lot of things about the word of God, and we can say a lot of things about Jesus, but we want to say the accurate things. We want to say the things that are true. We want to say the things that actually somebody needs to hear so that they can trust Jesus as their Savior. We want to proclaim to them that God created this world, but man sinned against God. And because of our sin, our punishment is death. And because of that, we need a Savior from our sin and from our death that's expected of us, that's going to happen. And Jesus is that Savior. And we want to proclaim Him as the Redeemer 
And we proclaim to anybody that will listen that whoever hears and calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved because they confess with their, their mouth that Jesus is Lord and that He forgives them of their sins. And so we proclaim that. And I'd encourage you, if you've never done that today, if you've never trusted Christ yourself, if you're here and thinking, why would I proclaim the gospel? I need the gospel myself. I'm a sinner. You can do that now. You can turn and you can even bow or just pray in your mind to God and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. I confess that you should be the Lord of my life instead of me ruling my life. Forgive me and save, save me. Be my Savior today. And he will save you. And you'll be a child of his forever. And that's what we're asking for our missionaries to have opportunity to do. That's what we pray that others in our church would be able to do. That we would proclaim Christ boldly and clearly. Let me ask you, do you, do you ever pray for our missionaries? Do you ever pray for other people in this church to have opportunity? Or are your prayers only focused on what you need at the moment? On the way out, there's two tables in the back, and it has the offering box, which is great. Those are, things, those are a wonderful thing, right? There's also a little paper next to it that it says all of our missionary names. And on the back of it, if you're not sure how to pray for our missionaries, on the back of it, it has a little introduction of how to pray for our missionaries. And I would challenge you, I'd encourage you, grab that. Pray for our missionaries. Even email them. Their email's on there and say, hey, I'm prayed for you this week. You don't know me, and I, don't, I may not know you well, but I'm praying for you. What an encouragement to know somebody's praying for you. I have believers and brothers and sisters in Christ in this church that tell me, Pastor, we're praying for you. And that is an encouragement because it is sometimes a difficult road to walk. And we need prayer. Intercede for one another. Pray for open doors. Pray that you would be able to see people saved. You know, sometimes I think we don't pray for people to be saved and pray for open doors because we don't like change. Sometimes we know if we prayed and we saw people come to Christ, it would change where we had to sit in the auditorium. It would change the person that we know. We might not know their name. It might change things or it might make us uncomfortable because we might need to do some work to disciple somebody to become more like Christ. Sometimes we don't pray for it because it's not a big deal to us. And we should be praying for people to come to Christ always. Pray for opportunities for yourself and for others. And Paul gives us clear instructions in verse 5 and 6 as he finishes this, uh, these simple instructions for us. He says in verse 5, says, look, this is what we're going to go on. Pray for me, but he says also for you, this is what you should do. So we're going to look at point three. We're going to see in verse 5, it says this, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every person. Paul says, pray, intercede for me, so that I can proclaim the gospel. And then he says, I really want you, point three, is to proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel in your actions, in the way that you live, and actually the way that you speak as well. Paul says this again, it's another present active imperative, this, this meaning of this should be going on now and it should actively happen in the future. He says, be constantly walking in wisdom, meaning that we use our brains and the word of God and what he's given us, even especially in Proverbs, a wisdom book to know how to live so that we can proclaim the gospel to the unsaved. 
We have a gospel mindset in our minds, constantly thinking, what can I give and how can I share Christ with other people? And he tells us we should do this so that we have a clear testimony and so that we, we do this and re, we redeem the time. This idea of redeeming the time is the idea of buying back the time. But we understand we really can't buy more time. The thing that we would probably find the most valuable on this earth is time. I cannot buy more time for my life or your life. And as much as we would love to, we can't extend another day to the life that God has given to us unless he ordains. I can't purchase it. So what does he tell us to do? The time that you do have, redeem it. Use it. Use it for God's glory. Use it so that we walk wisely for the outsiders, for those that are outside of the faith. This is not simply when he says redeem the time, making the best use of the time. He's not saying this, use your time really well so that you can get all the bucket list items done off your bucket list in your life. You know, if you had the bucket list of the top 50 things you did in your, wanted to do in your life, well, I'd love to go to Bali, I'd love to go to Australia, I'd love to, you know, uh, scuba dive on the Great Barrier Reef, I'd love to, you know, go and play golf on uh, St. Andrews in, in uh, Scotland. Those are all great things, wonderful things that are probably never going to happen to me. And uh, those bucket list things are not the things that I should use my life to redeem. I mean, as much as they would be fun to do, That's not what my life should be spent trying to accomplish. You may even wonder, what is my life for? Why does God have me here? What am I supposed to do? What you're supposed to do is walk wisely, redeem the time that you have, and use it, as he says, to proclaim Christ. says in verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that... Why? You may, answer, uh, you may know how you ought to answer each person. This isn't just simply so that when your boss asks you a question, you can give a good answer and get a raise. It's so that we can proclaim the gospel. This is all in context of us giving the gospel. Redeem the time. Use your time wisely. You know what? I, yesterday we spent a couple hours uh, w- working through some logistics and kind of giving some people a rundown of the mission trip in, uh, this, in July that we go to Germany. And I went to that meeting really nervous and uh, a little bit anxious. And the trip always makes me nervous and anxious because you're leading people across the world to another country and sometimes flights get canceled and things like that. But really, the thing that makes me nervous sometimes is just the, can I do all of this? Then I got together with a number of people there, and the encouragement and the joy it was to be able to be together with some people that said, we're going to take 10 days out of our summer to proclaim Christ to kids in Germany that have never heard about Christ. We're going to do that. That was exciting. It got me motivated. It got me excited because I think this is what the purpose of our lives are to do, to share Christ, whether it's here in Palmhurst, Texas, McAllen Mission, Edinburgh, in San Antonio or Houston, in Germany, Mexico, or throughout the world, our lives should be spent proclaiming the gospel. We should use our time, our efforts, our money, everything we have to proclaim Jesus so that other people can see how good our King is, so that we see how good Jesus is, so that they surrender to Him and say, King Jesus, I want to worship you. And we'll see them with him one day in glory together. 
But we often, and me too, spend our time wasting our time, redeeming it for useless things that at the end of our life we will realize we're so useless. Use your life for Christ. And he says, proclaim the gospel. He really says, use speech that's very tactful, very purposeful, very clear. Proclaim the gospel with purpose. It says, full of grace. We think about tactful or very careful speech there. It says, let it be gracious and seasoned with salt. You know, a believer's speech, the way we interact with people should be gracious. It should be loving and caring and kind. We shouldn't be the harsh, brash people. And I know that, as I said earlier, even I think about sometimes when I get frustrated and ungrateful, my speech is brash, curt, cuts to the point, it hurts. And our lives should be spent giving gracious speech, seasoned with salt, Seasoning in the New Testament was used for a few different things. It would preserve food, it would sterilize food, it would season food. Probably some of you are getting hungry for lunch and you're going to pour a bunch of salt on there to make it taste better. If you haven't know anything about South Texas growing up here and living here, we season our food like crazy. And when I go back up to Michigan and visit people, I think, this is just so bland. And one of the reasons, we use a ton of salt, Right? You get that 956 spice or Fiesta seasoning or whatever, put it on there and it tastes so much better. Our lives should be used with gracious speech that's tactful, that's attractive to the gospel. Not to make ourselves better, not to make our lives wonderful, but to make Jesus wonderful. That tells us that we should use it for wholesome talk. It should be preserved. It should be protected from unwholesome talk. As Jesus says, every idle word that we speak will be accounted for. It should be, in some sense, sterilized as it does. It should be clean. It shouldn't be crass. It, shouldn't be, uh, it should be untainted from sin. We should use our mouth and the words that we say tactfully and wisely without uh, any inappropriateness. It should be seasoned, full of the gospel. Our conversation is watched by under, uh, unbelievers. Our lives are watched by unbelievers. And some people have said sometimes that they see bland Christianity. People that live lives that seem like Christ is boring, useless, no fun, and just a bunch of rules. And sometimes that's because of the complaints we do about our church, about the people around us, or the people that we're supposed to love. And our lives are filled with Speech that's not seasoned, that's not gracious. And we would look and people around us would say, I don't want any part of that Christianity. Is our speech, is our life marked by loving and caring for other people? It's convicting to me. It's convicting about how I use my mouth, how I say these things. How when something bad happens, when our thumb gets hit by the hammer, or the other frustrating things in life, what pours out of our speech, Lord willing, it'll be gracious. And we would know, as it says in the end of verse 6, so that we would know how we ought to answer every person. We have tactful, gracious speech, and we also respond tactfully, clearly, giving the gospel. Not every response deserves a hammer. Not every response that we need needs to pound the gospel into somebody telling them, you're a sinner that needs to repent. But sometimes that is needed. Sometimes we simply need to be loving and gracious. And we see a coworker that we know is not a believer, 
And we simply say during one of their difficult times, I will be praying for you. Let me know how I can pray for you. And you tell them that. And as they open up, you give them clear responses of the gospel. Let me encourage you, if you don't know how to share the gospel, please spend some time reading the tracts on the way out. Spend some time, just email me, talk to me, text me, whatever, to pastor as well. We will help you share the gospel to build relationships so that we can share Christ and that we have a good, clear response. Some people have said, you know, we should live a life that people see Jesus in our lives. And maybe, if needed, use words. And I would tell you, yes, it's absolutely needed that you use words to proclaim Christ. Don't just assume somebody will come to Jesus and saving faith because they watched you. Hopefully they see your life lived like a Christian, but you are going to have to proclaim Christ so that somebody understands what they need to know about Jesus so they can believe. They may just see that you live a wonderful life, and that's good. Lots of people live nice lives, and they seem to be following Jesus. But we need to use our words in our speech to proclaim Jesus and command and tell people we need to learn Christ, submit to him, repent of our sins, and make him our Lord. Let me conclude with with a statement from Andrew Murray. And as we think about this in this prayer, Andrew Murray says this, God cannot at times hear the prayer of your lips because the desires of your heart after the world cry out to him much more strongly and loudly, says from the prayer life in chapter 12, the book you wrote. That is so true. Sometimes our lives are so concerned with the desires of this world and our prayers are filled for me and now and what I want that we are not thinking of the gospel opportunities that God has presented Fill your prayer with thanksgiving. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ here in this room and throughout the world. And pray that we would have the opportunities to share Christ. And when we have those opportunities, we would do it clearly. Are the cares of this world so strong that your prayer life sounds like a wish list for a magic genie? Is it possible that the only thing that marks your life is a one hour, or if I go a little longer, an hour and a half, time on a Sunday morning, and the rest of the life is not lived one bit for Christ, our lives, our speech should be lived for Christ every day. Let me encourage you as we finish. Pray. Always be praying to God and praising Him. Intercede. Pray for open doors for gospel workers and proclaim the message. Give the gospel. We have a great opportunity. We serve a great Savior He has been gracious to us. May we share Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we look at the Word of God, and you have told us it is convicting. It cuts, and it convicts us because, Lord, it is written by you and the Holy Spirit. And as believers, you've given us the Holy Spirit in our lives, and when we merge the Word of God together and the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we just are convicted because we know, Lord, we can draw closer to you. And you don't want that just because you want to punish us or make us feel terrible. Lord, you want us to draw closer to you because you want relationship with us. Because you love us, you gave your Son to die for us. And you are such a good God. Lord, for those that are here today in this congregation that have not submitted to you as their King, they've not trusted Jesus as their Savior, would they 
today confess their sins, repent of their sins, and accept you as their Savior. And Lord, for those of us believers that look at this passage and realize that our life is often woefully lacking and falls short of what we should be doing, I pray that we would repent. We would, Lord, turn to you and continue down the road of faith and in this life of sanctification, walking closer today, living a life today and tomorrow and beyond that looks more like Christ. Help us, Lord, to pray, to be giving thanks to you. Lord, help us to intercede for our brothers and sisters, especially those missionaries and gospel workers that we support. May they have open doors of opportunity. Lord, would you grow this church even because there are so many people here that want to proclaim Jesus? Open the doors of opportunity. Lord, would you help us to live a life that helps others see that we want to live for you? And Lord, use the words that we say to bring people to Christ. Lord, we're so excited about what can happen. Lord, we're excited for the fact that revival happens through prayer. And we can do that, Lord, because we're just calling you to do what you've said you would do. Lord, would you work in our hearts and in our lives? Would you work in the lives of the people here? Help them to see, help me to see, that our purpose for our lives should be lived for your glory in every moment and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.